turn with me please in your Bibles to the book of Amos, the book of Amos in chapter 6, God willing next Lord's Day I hope to bring a sermon for our Harvest Sunday and uh, I wanted to speak to you before our mission to encourage hearts, to stir hearts and I want to speak to you from my heart this morning, Amos chapter 6 please and the verse 1. And this is just some things that have been pressing in my heart as we think about our mission, as we think about souls, as we think about the area that the Lord has planted us. And I trust the Lord will challenge our hearts today and will awaken us, as it were, from our slumber. I would like to speak to you under the title at ease in Zion, at ease in Zion. Our scripture reading It's Amos chapter 6, just one verse. Just one verse. Woe to them that are these in Zion, and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations, to whom the house of Israel came. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to consider your word just now, and as we come towards the season of mission in our church fellowship, we ask that you would awaken our souls today, that you would quicken us, that you would break our hearts for a lost world, that, Father, you would challenge our hearts afresh, And Father, that you would give us a fresh seal and burden in these weeks that lie ahead. Father, thank you for the Saviour, our Captain, who we've been singing of. Thank you that he died on the cross to make the way back to God possible. Father, we thank you that many of us are trusting Christ as our Saviour. But Father, spare us from going to sleep and becoming carnal Christians. Father, we pray that your word would come with fresh challenge to us this morning. Speak to our hearts, O God. We ask this for thy glory. And in our Saviour's name, Amen. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. We find here in this verse, in God's word that we've read together, this word, ease. And this is a word that takes on various meanings. Uh, Throughout scripture, for example, um, the original Hebrew word that's used here can also be translated as the word quiet. Uh, And we find that in Isaiah 32 and verse 18. And my people shall dwell in a peaceful habitation and and in sure dwellings and in quiet, the same word, ease, are quiet resting places. In Isaiah 32, the whole concept and context there is of the spiritual blessing of God's people. Uh, Therefore, it's reference to peace and assurance to those who belong to God. So the word can be translated quiet, meaning there's ease in the soul of the believer, which is something that is healthy and something that's commended in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, we read of this same type of quietness in the soul. It's the Lord Jesus speaking, and he says, Come unto me, all ye who that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you 
rest. I'll give you rest. A, a quietness of soul. A, an ease, if you like, of the soul. Psalm 25, verse 13, speaking of the person that's trusting in the Lord, says, His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. Now, that's the ease of the child of God that the Lord brings, and it's the ease that's meant to come to the child of God. But, but the ease that we read of in our verse this morning, it's a different type of ease. The, the, these words, woe to them, they're at ease in Zion, come from the voice of Amos. A, a warning voice to God's people in Israel. And, and it, was to the, it was addressed to those God's people who had found themselves in lethargy and laziness when it came to spiritual matters. Come with me this morning on a journey to Palestine. 25 years before the fall of the nation of Israel. And I want us to come and visit a little city called Bethel. A small city. And there if you like there's a church building. And within that building sits a king whose name is King Jeroboam II. And this church building, it was a wee bit like, I suppose, Hillsborough Castle or Balmoral Palace. It was King Jeroboam's local home. It served as a home where he would enjoy a holiday, a wee bit like Queen Elizabeth used to. And this priest that was there was named Amaziah. And I want to take you there to this place 25 years before Israel fell and we walk into the front of this church building just like we can walk into the front of this church building and we see right at the front this King Jeroboam and the priest is standing there at the pulpit and he's about to lead the service, a majestic service that's about to begin and there's instruments and there's singers and there's chanters and there's readers, it's a great service about to begin and then suddenly just before the priest Amaziah is about to speak we hear a commotion outside the building it's this man and he's shouting and he's shouting we all run outside the building to see what's going on and all this noise and all this commotion. And you see this man, he's standing on his own. No one with him. And all we can hear him say is shouting, Woe unto you that are at ease in Zion. Judgment is coming. We look him up and down, this man, and he's nothing special. We see a man, a rustic, hell open air preacher. His name is Burdened. That's what Amos means, burden. Incidentally, he was burdened for the souls of the people who were round about him. He was concerned for them. And he looked about him and he saw the need. And he became God's mouthpiece in a time of need. And he called out God's message to the people around him. And incidentally, can I ask you, are you burdened for God's work? Are you burdened for the souls round about us in green? Have you burdened for the Lord to move at our mission? Have you prayed for the Lord to bring a special blessing at our mission? Have you invited unsaved friends and family along? Are you praying for them? I must confess, I don't plan this morning in giving you a verse-by-verse -verse exposition of Amos 6, which would normally be my habit. But as we approach the mission, I just want to share my heart with you. I want to challenge your hearts, and I simply want to ask a few questions in the light of God's Word. 
You want to open your I want you to open your eyes and see the need that's all around us. And the first question I want to ask is already in the screen. The first question I want to ask is, are you at ease in Zion? Are you? I'm not talking to you as a church fellowship. I'm talking to individuals. And God's word comes to bear in each of us as individuals this morning. I want you to ask these questions to your own hearts and souls. Are you, dear brother, dear sister, are you at ease in Zion? Could Amos, this burdened man, could his words apply to you? Here was Amos and he wasn't a professional prophet. If you like, he he wasn't a pastor or a minister. His father wasn't a prophet. He he wasn't the son of a prophet. He didn't go to prophet school or Bible school. But the matter of the fact was, as we look at this chapter, this man, Amos, this man burdened, was God's man for God's day with God's message. And he stands before the people and he preaches a message and he preaches against and he denounces luxurious living. He preaches against God's people's lack of concern and lack of care and lack of of, of compassion for the people who were living round about them. He condemns their expensive houses. He condemns their drinking. He condemns their complacency. He condemns their costly parties and their rich living. And these people who he was speaking to, they were very religious. They knew their Bible, if you like. They they were well versed. They had the chapter and verse for everything. This prophet, he comes and he condemns the fact that they used their religion as a masquerade for their false living, their spiritual laziness. Do you know what the big problem was? If you look at the entire book of Amos, you will see that these very people, these religious people, they were the very people who were going to all the services. They were the people who were taking the name of Jehovah, the name of the Lord. These were the people that were shouting, we're looking for the coming of the Lord. We're looking for the day of the Lord when the Lord will come and when the Lord will judge the earth and we'll be free from our enemies. That's what these people were crying These were the people that Amos' message of woe was for. And Amos' message to these people was woe unto thee. Woe to you that are at ease in Zion. Because you're calling for the coming of the Lord. But when the Lord comes, it will be you that will be judged. We read a similar statement to the New Testament church. That's you and I. Found in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 17. When Peter writes to believers. For the time for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Do you see the parallel here? Do you? Between God's people and Amos and us today. What do Christians long for today? Christians long for the coming of the Lord. And that's right. And Christians yearn for the coming of the Lord. And they should. We're commanded to. But so many of the Christians that yearn after his coming are looking for the glory of his coming and they're not ready for his coming. We thought about this last Wednesday evening. You see, when the Lord comes to your Christian, we're going to be called accountable for how we lived and how we reached the lost and how we stood in front of them. And Christian, I must ask you today, are you at ease in Zion? The nation of Israel, there there was peace and prosperity. There was luxury like there never was before. Everything seemed to be going well. Everyone was prospering. Yet this man, this rustic preacher, God's man with God's message was standing in front of them, condemning them, shouting, woe to you, damnation to you. 
I wonder if Amos were to visit today, would he say the same to us here? Because the the evangelical church as a whole across our country can be so insular, we're so comfortable. Whoa, that wasn't what the people wanted to hear. That wasn't what the people expected to hear. But he was shouting to them, you're at ease in Zion. You see Amos here, he's slamming lovers of comfort. Here we are sitting in our comfy pews in our well-heated church building. Coming along here each week in our fancy attire, in our comfortable cars. Driving to our homes which always have electricity and hot water. Uh, And we live in relative luxury here in Grange compared to millions across our world. And because of our comfort, we, we, we can become so complacent, complacent and so lethargic in our efforts for the Lord and listen to what God has to say to the lovers of comfort. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion and to those who feel secure in the mountain of Samaria. Verse 4, woe to those who lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches. Verse 6, who drink wine and bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph and as we approach our mission are you so consumed by comfort that you don't think of the souls that they're on their way to a lost eternity you don't think of your next door neighbor's lost estate out there just on the doorstep of this church building here in Grange there are souls who are lost what are we going to do to reach them let me change that sentence What are you going to do to reach them? At ease in Zion. Does that refer to anyone here today? Living in comfort. Not grieving over the loss. People who are experts in loving themselves but haven't had the first thought about what it means to love your neighbour as yourself. To point them to Christ. Can I ask what governs your getting and your spending? Is it a desire to fill your little three score in ten years with as much comfort as you can, to be comfortable as you can? Or is it a God-given desire to do as much good for others and seek to speak Christ to them and let them know of their lost estate and that they would see the glory of Christ that you've come to see in your own life? There's a warning in Amos chapter 3 and verse 15 which hits so close to home in middle-class Grange Baptist that I almost hesitate to read it. But it's here in God's word, so we must. The Lord says, And I will smite the winter house with the the summer house. And the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall have an end, saith the Lord. Take heed and guard your hearts diligently, lest you find yourselves enslaved to comfort and addicted to luxury. Are you at ease? In Zion this morning, believer, answer the question. The Lord asks of you, are you at ease? Are we at ease when a world is damned? Are we? It's time to awaken from our slumber. The Reverend Ian Paisley once said while he was preaching, the church of Jesus Christ is largely sleeping. Like a great bedroom. You have all the Christians in bed and they're sleeping. And the Christians are saying, please don't wake me up, I want to sleep on. And of course when God starts to operate a revival, people cannot sleep. 
And you can't sleep in church when the Spirit of God awakens the people. Listen to what Scripture says, says Dr. Paisley. Awake and put on strength. Wake up. You sleepy Christians, awake thou that sleepeth, arise from the dead, Christ will give you life. What a quote from Ian Paisley. You know, there's a lovely verse found in Acts that describes how the early church behaved. They weren't at ease. It says they did not cease to teach and preach Jesus Christ. I wonder, is that your individual testimony? Not at ease, but rather not ceasing to teach and preach Christ. Even though the gospel was a stumbling block to the Jew and foolishness to the Gentile, the early church believed the gospel was the power of God unto salvation to all that believe. And they were not hesitant to preach it, not hesitant to bring people under the sound of the gospel. You could think of the Apostle Paul. He certainly wasn't at ease in Zion. Do you remember what Paul went through in many places to share the gospel? He was imprisoned in Philippi. He was chased out of Thessalonica. He was smuggled from Berea. He was laughed at in Athens. He was a fool in Corinth. He was nothing but an irritant in Jerusalem. He was stoned in Galatia. And yet, even still, he continued and was eager to preach the gospel. Why? Because Paul was convinced that the gospel was the power of God unto salvation. Let's be honest with ourselves today. All of us who are saved would like to be able to identify with Paul in that same way. But the fact is that very often we're ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I don't think we would confess that. I don't think we would easily admit that. But there's times that we should speak and we don't speak. And there's times that we should be bold and we're not bold. And we face the hostility of the world as the gospel. It's an offensive message. And it's easier just to say nothing than get comfortable and just get on with our comfortable lives to stay at ease in Zion. The gospel, it talks about blood and death. It sounds so foolish and silly to man. And we're afraid of what they might think. So we tend to be silent when we should speak at ease in Zion. And in the Lord's will, next week, we'll begin our gospel mission. And I hope each of you have made efforts to invite others in. I know many of you have. And some of you, maybe in the week that lies ahead, you'll seek to invite others and they'll oppose you. And it might cause you to be afraid, but the Lord calls us to be bold in our efforts to reach people with the gospel. And God wants to reach all people. Even those who oppose us, you see, it's not the will of the Father that any should perish. And God loves the militant atheists who will debate you about the Lord. They need to hear the gospel. People need Christ. People need the Lord. And he can save them no matter who they are. Are you at ease in Zion? That's the first question. Second question. If only three questions. Second question. Do you believe in hell? Now, don't give me the answer I'm looking for. I'm asking you, do you really believe in hell? I know you know about it in your head, and you've learnt about it in Sunday schools, and maybe you're in children's meetings. I know all those things. I know that so well, but I'm asking, do you really believe in the place called hell? There was a man who was an atheist in death row. There was a minister, a pastor there, who was able to share the gospel of those who were due to die. And this man, this atheist, 
responded to the pastor who was sharing the gospel to him like this. He said, if I believed what you believed about hell, I would crawl on my hands and knees across beds of broken glass and hot ashes to the four corners of the earth to tell all people and to warn them of hell. That's an atheist said that. Do you believe in hell, Christian? Charles Finney, a great American revivalist in the 1800s who brought many souls to Christ, was used as an instrument of God in revival. And he said this, that Christians need to do something. It's an exercise that all Christians need to do. We need to take our New Testament, we need to take our Bibles, and we need to open them at every passage that mentions hell and go through it and start in Matthew's Gospel and go through the verses that talk about hell. And he says, take a member of your family and place them in that verse. He says, pretend that you're looking into hell with a telescope. This is what he says. And put your little girl or your little boy there. Then you'll know the cost of hell. Do you believe in hell? You remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus, I'm sure. Lazarus, who had everything in life, but didn't prepare. The rich man who had everything in life, but didn't prepare for eternity. And when the rich man was in hell, he begged for Lazarus to warn his five brothers to give their lives to Christ. As the rich man didn't want his family to end up where he was. Dear brothers and sisters, there's people all around us. And they're heading to hell. There are people who will sit in our hall next week. And they're on their way to hell. And if we were able to walk through the dark caverns of hell today. And listen to the cries of the people who are there. They would be calling out like the rich man. Go and tell my family that they shouldn't come here. Go and tell them about Christ. Tell them that they need to get saved. Bring them to the gospel meeting. Plead with them to come to the mission. Go and tell them on the streets. Warn them. I'm sure a doctor takes no delight in telling a patient that they're extremely ill, but it's necessary in order for the treatment to begin. And I believe it's my duty to warn people that they're lost, that hell is real. It's a result of man's sin and rejection of the finished work of Christ. You don't seek a cure until you know you're sick. And people need to recognize they're lost. I've told you this before, but I think it's worth repeating. Philip Annett, uh, who was a CEF worker at the time, still is, but at the time he was the CEF uh, leader of the work across Ireland. And in 2013, I attended CEF training week. And Philip was leading the work of CEF in Ireland at the time. And he was leading a session in reaching the lost. And he described a poor attitude to running a five-day club with the children in the open air. And he said... It's not about throwing out the blue map and the green and being relieved that your memory verse went well or your story went well or that the club went well and off we go, up runs the blue map, on to the next location. Philip went on to say something that has profoundly impacted my life and my ministry ever since. He said this, many of the children that are sat on your blue map are on their way to hell. And God has given you the responsibility of sharing the gospel with them. Dear believer, the same is for those around us. That we pass by every single day 
that we rub shoulders with and work every day. Our neighbours that sometimes we get a chat to every day. Those who come into our mission, those we speak to, those we go and stay in school, young people. Don't be ashamed. We need to proclaim the Lord's message. I would be ashamed for somebody to be able to stand in hell today and be able to say, Peter, you never told me. Do you believe in hell? I want to tell you, if you really believed in hell, it would quicken you. It would awaken you from your ease in Zion. Are you at ease in Zion when the church is dormant and the world is damned? Is there not a cause for us to awaken? Do you know something? There's nothing uninteresting about Christianity. Nothing. But I'll tell you what there is. There's uninterested Christians. Nothing uninteresting about Christianity. But uninterested Christians. Christians that couldn't give two hoots. You could think of Acts chapter 17 and verse 16. It says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. When Paul was in Athens, in other words, he looked around him, and to put it in a modern context, he saw the churches, and he saw the dead Protestant churches, and he saw the mosques, and he saw the cults, and he saw the paganism, and he lifted his eyes to God and to Christ, and he cried because his heart was stirred within him because of the idolatry and sin in this land. And Christian, will you not stir yourself? Will you not stir yourself to all the idolatry and sin that is in your land? Does it not drive you to your knees? Does it not bring tears to your eyes? Does it not move you? Does it not stir you? Or yet it is in Zion? Or do you even hear the cry from hell? Final question. Are you at ease in Zion? Do you believe in hell? Are you seeking the Lord? Hosea chapter 10 verse 12. That's the motto verse that this church has in all its literature. Now it isn't a verse that I chose. I don't know who did. It was before my time. But we need to ask, is it time to seek the Lord? It is time to seek the Lord, dear brothers and sisters. Right now it's time. Our land is falling to bits. Our education system is falling to bits. All around us sin is right. And we and the church itself is following suit. We need a revival today. But you know something the Lord will only do it through us. Duncan Campbell the revivalist in the Hebrides was at Bangor Missionary Convention and he was sitting up on the platform just up here. There at Bang- the convention in Bangor. And he was about to get up and speak the very last message of the whole convention. And the Lord by the Holy Spirit told him, don't ask me how, but told him to get off his seat and go to the Hebrides Islands. And he went over to the person who was in charge and he asked, could he be given leave? Because he had to go. And they said, well, hold on a minute. You're giving the next message. He can't just get up and leave. But he had to. He was compelled to. He was stirred by the Spirit. A man under the Spirit of God. And he went. 
And when he reached the shores of the Isle of Lewis, there was a man waiting for him. And the man just said, I've been waiting for you. And the other question that this man asked Duncan Campbell was, are you right with the Lord? And Duncan Campbell said that he doesn't know what would have happened if he went all the way and was faced with that question and he wasn't right with the Lord. But he was. And the Lord entrusted a revival to Duncan Campbell and his ministry when he was on those islands. Dear Christian, what would you do today if the Lord visited you at your bedside of a cloud of mercy and was willing to open it? Let it burst and rain righteousness upon you. Would you be ready? Would you be there? I believe in these days the Lord does want to see if I believe it with all my heart. But he needs a pure people. He needs a people who are seeking the Lord. He needs clean vessels. He needs a people with zeal who are stirred up by the Spirit of God. To go into the highways and byways and compel people to come in. Are we at ease in Zion? Happy with our luxury. Happy to just come into our church building and enjoy the services for ourselves. Or are we looking beyond these walls? And seeing a world lost in sin. In need of a saviour. It's an unfinished task. And I hope that today you will ask God to stir, to stir you, to move out by his spirit. That you would go home and spend moments with God and ask him to awaken you from your eyes. And that God would allow you to see hell. I know that he would move us as a church fellowship. We come to these times of prayer this week. Let me encourage you as best you can to be there. If you can't be there, make sure you're praying at home. Let me encourage you to go out and invite people in. They need to hear. They need to hear. Let me encourage you in your workplace, wherever you go, wherever you'll be this week, whoever you interact with, young people in school, Tell people of Jesus, the mighty to see it.